You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom. The kingdom. Yes, it is. Gotta spread the word. No good and camp. You are listening to the and campaigns church politics podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me. And I'm with the Windy City representative, the baddest brother above the Mason Dixon line, the right reverend Christopher Butler. How you doing, brother? I'm doing very well. How are you? Let me ask. You. Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing I'm doing really well. And and, 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 and it all goes into what I'm about to talk to talk about next. Did you see my nets last night? I did. I really did. Did you see did you see my my, my man KD and what he and what he did? Listen, so I, I have a little bit, you know, I'm a Bulls fan, only a Bulls fan. No. I have a little bit of regional affection for uh Milwaukee and I thought that they were going to uh get into something yesterday and KD, man. You have regional affection for Milwaukee. Does that does that also include uh, Green Bay? No. No okay, just making sure because then I, I think they kick you out of Bears Nation for that. But 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 here's my thing, bro. And I'm gonna be straight up with you, man. I'm just gonna pour my heart out, bear my my naked soul right now. Folks, that counted us out. You know what I mean? I mean, folk, we took a couple injuries. My man Kyrie got hurt. Harden was hurt. You know, and and and, and folks that counted us out. I was getting all kind of texts from folks talking about where y'all at now and all this other stuff. And you know, as as a longtime Nets fan, you know, somebody who's been all in for the Nets probably since January of this year. I just couldn't be more proud of their performance, especially after how folks treated them after sustaining those injuries. You know, all the ups and downs that we've been through through the weeks and months that I've been their biggest fan. You see a game like we, we saw yesterday and it's just all worth it. You know what I mean? It, it just to see them overcome that type of adver- adversity is huge. I mean, and the truth of the matter is KD had the game. That all these LeBron and Laker lovers like Esau McCauley and and Preston Perry, and I'm not going to say any other names, <laughs> that all of them wished that LeBron had. They wished that they could say LeBron had the game that KD had. Maybe they'd still be in the playoffs. But alas, they're not. Uh, and I know we're probably losing a lot of uh, Lakers listeners uh, during these playoffs. But y'all can come back after the playoffs if that's what needs to happen, man. But we we need to speak on this because I, I do, Chris, I do feel really good about what's going on. But enough of politics, man. We we, we like to start off that way, but we got to get into what we always get into, uh, which is politics. So grab your Bible, get your mind right and prepare to think not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but like a Christian. Well, Chris, uh, it never fails. Um, every time the Ann campaign critiques or criticizes a political party or a popular politician, Christians on one side or the other come out of the woodwork with their guns blazing. They uh, uh, quickly and skillfully uh, unsheathe their uh, rhetorical machetes and rapidly attack like zealous warriors like their Zun Tzu or uh, Shaka Zulu or Spartacus or something like that. And we know how it is, man. We've been around this for a while, so we're not worried about the tax. We know that's the nature of the beast. We know that's exactly how it goes down. But what I'm really concerned about, Chris, is what this says about the state of Christianity in the public square. Because when I say these folks are vigilant, these folks are vigilant. They stay ready. They stay on their toes and they stay on the lookout for even the smallest slight. And they're always armed with their side's latest talking points, no matter how shallow or dishonest or hateful those talking points might be. You see, Chris, and you know this just as well as I do, a lot of Christians are always ready to slay ideological infidels. Mm -hmm. We're always prepared, always ready to give an answer for the faith and hope we have in our ideological tribe and in our ideological conclusions that we hold so dear. We can't for a minute allow anyone to think that our party or our pet politician has made a mistake or simply wasn't acting in good faith 
or wasn't acting in the best interest of the people. And in regards to what side you're talking about, some of our favorite elected officials are shepherds who feed only themselves, but will never admit it. So we see this again and again that immediately when there's a critique, Christians are going to come with these what about isms, right? Uh, instead of conceding the facts, instead of humbly admitting wrongdoing, Christians start to say, well, what about the bad stuff the other side is doing? Before we admit anything, before, you know, uh, uh, before we even say, yeah, that might not be so good, we automatically have to deflect and talk about what the other side is doing. It's like children. This is literally what my young sons do, right? They do something wrong. They get corrected or get in trouble. And instead of internalizing it, they point to something their sibling did. And we do the same thing in the public square as Christians when we're defending our ideology. Because I could be mistaken and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. It seems a lot of times like we're more worried about being seen as better than the progressives or better than the conservatives than actually doing what's right. And Chris, you might have seen it earlier this week. I tweeted the following quote and it said this. Many Christians are more passionate about contending for their political affiliation than they are about contending for the faith. Some apparently believe contending for their political affiliation is contending for the faith. It's time for a paradigm shift. Now, as you know, Chris, I mean, you're, you're a Bible guy. You're a church, grew up a church kid like I did. This quote alludes to Jude's epistle, in particular, Jude 3 which says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once uh, once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Now, when I look at this scripture and I see what's going on in the public square, it seems to me like we've taken this instruction and we've redirected it toward our political affiliation. We're not seeking to identify and remove falsehoods from within the church as much as we are uh, concerned about calling out and removing ideological impurity from our midst. We're ready to defend our political affiliations at all times. And the fact is, Chris, we do it because we defend that which is most precious to us. Uh, we defend what we think is needed for our survival. We defend what is nearest and most often entangled with our identity. We've allowed our political affiliation to become religious in nature and our identities are entangled with our political party and our political ideology. And, and as a consequence of this, Chris... When you attack our party, you've effectively attacked us personally. When you say that someone in our party or someone we like is corrupt, you've personally almost called us corrupt. When you say they're not thoughtful, you've, you've basically said that I'm personally not thoughtful or that we're uh, or that I'm personally not qualified. And that's the way that we take it. I mean, you you critique or even criticize to go a little further, you criticize somebody's favorite politician or their party. It's like you came. It's like you told a your mama joke. Right. It's, it's like you've attacked their mother. That's how territorial that they are. That's how defensive they are when they hear this. And I'll be honest with you, Chris, that's a terrible position to take. Not only is it bad for democracy because. Uh, it puts us in a position where we refuse to hold our representatives accountable, but it's personally unhealthy and damaging to the church's public witness. And let me just give you a few examples that aren't equivalent, but they're examples that if you uh, are going to be honest, I think you have to uh, give some credence to. Go ahead and critique Trump. And what you'll see happen is Christian conservatives will start talking about the Clintons, start talking about Hunter Biden. They'll start reciting how unfair he's been treated, even today. And all along, we'll not address 
the issue at hand, whether it was right or wrong by itself. They'll they'll tell you how everybody does this particular thing, trying to make it not a big deal. Oh, well, politicians, all politicians do that. That wasn't the question. Is it right or wrong? They'll talk about how presidents aren't expected to be uh, moral examples and all this other stuff. To this day, he could shoot a blind homeless widow on Fifth Avenue and some Christians would find a way to plead self-defense. Now we got to look at the other side. Right. And I think, you know, all these those two people are different. This is not to say they're the same or they have the same intentions or anything like this. But I want you to hear me out. If you critique Vice President Kamala Harris around some politically progressive Christians or to be honest, Chris, around some black Christians in particular, the critique, no matter what it is, no matter what the merits of it are, will automatically be deemed negative or sexist or racist. As someone who takes sexism and racism very seriously, and we talk about it all the time on this show because we take it seriously and it is real. That's not helping the cause to automatically draw that conclusion. It actually hurts the cause. There are certainly sexist and racist critiques that have been made of Kamala Harris, and we've uh, covered those. But it shouldn't be used as a shield to protect elected officials from criticism. And there's too many people that use it as a shield. And I'm telling you that that damages the credibility on other serious issues. No politician is ever above critique and no Christian should be preemptively or automatically defending any politician prior to knowing the facts and honestly assessing the situation. Once somebody goes into public life, once somebody decides they want to be an elected official, they want to be a representative in this constitutional republic. They have to be able to take some shots and they will be critiqued and they will be questioned. And you're not doing them or yourself a favor when we don't do that. And so as we're contending for our political affiliation, as we're contending for these other folks, we're actually hurting ourselves. And again, we're actually conflating what is ideological in many cases with what's in us and what's theological. Chris, what are your thoughts on this contending for our political affiliation above almost all else? Yeah, I think uh, that's maybe the key point is that we contend for these uh, political positions, political parties, political tribes, however we want to talk about it, above everything else. Uh, you you mentioned something uh, a, a couple minutes ago, this idea of being so very vigilant uh, about it and attending to it so carefully, uh, almost to the point where it's like it has become our religion, which is very troubling uh, because it, it damages two things, Justin, that I care about uh, a great deal. And you mentioned that uh, it damages democracy, right? Uh, because in our democracy, part of what makes democracy work is the willingness and ability of the citizenry to hold accountable those who we have put into elected office uh, at any level. And this sort of uh, willingness to always defend um, you know, our, our tribe, our political favorite, it actually allows folks to get away with anything because they know that there is always a group of people who are going to come forward and defend them. Doesn't matter what they did, even before they do it, they know that there is a group that will come forward and defend them because they have to, or at least they feel like they have to, just because they are part of this ideological tribe. Uh, it also makes it impossible to build coalitions because we're we're breaking down our credibility. Uh, every time we do this, we, we are cementing uh, our positions and, and furthering the distance between these sort of uh, political poles, uh, which makes it impossible to form coalition. And, and I really think that if you cannot form coalition, then you cannot get anything done in government. And so we're freezing government and we're letting our political leaders be unaccountable. And that is all very, very bad for our democracy. 
And if it weren't bad enough that this behavior is literally killing our democracy, it's actually hurting the church quite a bit. Uh, Because every time we do this, uh, we are creating an opening for bad doctrine to come into the church. Uh, And I think sometimes we don't talk enough about this and we don't uh, identify it for the crisis in the church that it is. Uh, Many times what we have to do, and and we're not having uh, conventions uh, on this, Justin, or, or writing new doctrinal statements, but literally every time we do this, we are making room for bad doctrine and bad behavior in the church. We are saying without saying it, that we have to change what we believe is right and wrong according to the scripture in order to accommodate our favorite politician. And what I know, uh, especially from where I sit as a pastor, but you you know this, Justin, as you move around the church, and especially as we talk to uh, young Christians on Christian campuses, this stuff is causing doctrinal and theological crisis in the church, because we're saying that stuff is okay, that for generations, based on the Bible, the church has been sort of sure that certain things are not okay. And all of a sudden, it is okay. And again, like nobody's having a convention on this or writing a doctrinal statement that says that, you know, uh, sexual misbehavior is okay as long as you are a powerful elected politician or that, you know, uh, you don't have to care as much about all humanity uh, if it secures your position in the Congress, right? We're not writing that stuff down. But every time we do this, and I I just urge us to think about this constantly, uh, we are teaching believers what to believe, not only by what we write in our statements, uh, and preach over the pulpit, but in what we do in our civic uh, discourse, we're teaching people about what the church believes. And I think that some part of the experience that we're having in the church today where we uh, are just finding it more challenging in a lot of places to uh to bring the gospel into different areas of, of our society, to disciple those uh, who are even inside of the church, is not the whole problem. But I think a it's a large contributor uh, to the problem is that we are so okay having our theological and doctrinal views be so out of alignment with our civic engagement and civic discourse just because we want to accommodate somebody who you know has political power or political influence um and and it's it's really sad because it it's hurting the church and it's hurting our primary role i mean we talk about this a lot uh in the end campaign we believe in being involved in civics we believe in being involved in politics it's incredibly important uh but it should never outpace in our mind that great commission, that call of the church to make disciples for Jesus. And this compromises in a massive way our ability to do that. Yeah, you make some excellent points. I mean, I like, you know, one thing I would take from, from what you said and kind of build on is your political affiliation is not the truth. Your ideology is fallible. It's not, it's It's errant. And therefore, you cannot contend for it in the same manner that you would contend for the faith, because some of the things, regardless on what side you're on, some of the things that it represents are not biblical, are not things that Christians should be approving or should be condoning or should be defending. But here, let me give you a test, though, Chris. Let me give the folks a, a test. Here's a test to see if your identity is in your political affiliation or not. Can someone critique or even attack your party or your ideological tribe without you getting upset or feeling like you've been attacked personally? If you feel like you're being attacked every some every time someone points out a flaw or misdeed 
done by your side, then you've been indoctrinated and your identity is in the wrong thing. Now, the truth of the matter is, anytime you're examined or critiqued, even if it was personal, you shouldn't be getting upset, right? So it's really interesting that when these, you know, our identity is is so attached and entangled to these ideological tribes and, and parties and politicians that when they get attacked or when they get a critique critiqued, we can't take it. Well, then you know you can't take it if you get critiqued, right? So, so this is a posture, this is a mindset, this is a spirit about going into these conversations in the right way. And I'll be, I'll be straight up with you, Chris. I gotta be a buck. All right. I was this way early on when it came to Obama. I was eager to defend instead of playing it straight and playing it honest because I felt like with him being the first black president, I had to make sure that everything looked perfect and that nothing stuck, no criticism stuck. And I've written in um, Christianity Today. I don't think that was the right approach. And that doesn't mean that I would go back and not have any support. But that just means that I would approach the whole thing in a different way. Right. Because I had to give myself a straightening on that on that. Right. Um, And I've come to the place and I think you're the same way where there's really nothing that you could say about a politician or nothing that you could say about Democrats generally my political party or even the progressive the things that i agree with on, on with progressives that's going to make me take it personal that's going to make me upset just off the, the the idea that you're being critical right now i might disagree with you i, I might i might you know uh, uh, uh give you some points why why would i uh, think you're saying is false but i'm not going to automatically defend it as if i'm defending myself And there's a chance that I might actually agree with you, which we all should be able to agree with some criticisms or some even some attacks on our side of the aisle. Chris, I'll let you take us out on this one. Yeah, I I would just say I I love that test. Right. Justin just gave us a a very good test uh, that we should be applying. I I would suggest that if you want to be able to pass this test uh, to not be personally uh, offended and feel personally attacked when somebody is a, uh, critiquing uh, or even attacking uh, your political party or political tribe. One of the things that I try to do is actively look for ways to affirm something good in your opponent, right? Can you actually do that? And, and I would suggest that in order to uh, help us to help ourselves in this time, because we live in a culture that's all about this sort of, uh, you know, opposition centered politics. Uh, So in order to inoculate ourselves against that, we should be doing two things. One, look for things to affirm in folks on the other side. The second thing is you do the work of criticizing your own tribe. Can you look at your ideological tribe or political party and point out the things that are not right? And look, this is not to say, I think it's very important for everybody to understand that we are not saying that you cannot be partisan. We are not saying that you cannot be uh, politically ideological. Political parties and political ideologies serve an important role in how our democracy works. They create uh, frameworks for thinking through uh, policy and civic discourse. They create groups and coalitions, uh, vehicles through which we can accomplish some of the things uh, that we want to accomplish. This is not to say that you cannot be partisan and that you cannot be ideological, but can you actually affirm the good in the other uh, ideological political tribes? And can you identify the uh, the errant motives, activities, policies, uh, and all the rest of it in your own political tribe and political um, party. If you cannot do those things, like Justin said, you've been indoctrinated. Uh, so I would just encourage our listeners, Justin, to to really be applying that test and to really be practicing uh, uh, those two practices on a regular basis because our culture is so into this, uh, you can become... Uh, indoctrinated and don't even know it. You do not have to be actively trying to become indoctrinated to become indoctrinated. Uh, It can happen to you.
it can happen to the best of us. So we should be always uh, being vigilant to make sure that that doesn't happen, that we don't replace that that passion to contend for truth with a passion to contend for these imperfect uh, ideologies. That's right. And, and these are practices or disciplines that are talked about even in greater depth in our book, Compassion and Conviction, the Anne Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. If you want to really dig into what that looks like to identifying the problems and being able to critique your own side, that is a great source. But we've given you a taste of, of, of what we're talking about. That was a word, Chris. Uh, and we will be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. We just looked at uh, Jude 3, looked at how some Christians are, instead of being focused on contending for the faith and the truth of the faith, the love of Jesus Christ, have been more focused on contending for their political affiliation, which is not the truth, which is not infallible, which is not inerrant. And we've really gone wrong in that in, in, in that way. Let's talk about what this public witness should look like if we were doing it the right way. Because ultimately, Chris, contending for the faith isn't just about contending for sound doctrine. Now, that is very important. Please do not get me wrong on that. That is very important. The point that I'm making, though, is that it doesn't end there. It's about how we live. It's about how we promote righteousness through our actions. If you read through Jude, you're seeing a lot of action. You're not just it's not just the doctrine. He's talking about the actions that that what people are doing that goes against uh, the gospel along with the doctrine, because you can have the right doctrine and be lacking in love and lacking in compassion. Uh, Just for example, in many instances, we could say that the moral majority had the right doctrine. Uh, But insofar as their approach was lacking in love, lacking in compassion and lacking the heart for the marginalized. It simply was not a good representation of the faith. You can call out uh, idolaters and heretics. And on the other side, you can even be calling out racist and identifying those things in a good way. But that in and of itself doesn't make you a full or good representative of the gospel. Let's take this a step further. What we're getting at is how do we properly represent the faith in the public square, in the political arena and in the culture? Because that representation. Is a statement in and of itself. If we're going to do that with sincerity and in truth, it has to be visible in our deeds as well as uh, in our words. And I think we have to I think it comes down to representing the whole counsel of God in our in the public square. So we talk about preaching the whole counsel of God. But how do we represent the whole counsel of God in the public square? Anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, who's been uh, listening to the and campaign for a while, knows that we think that Christians should be pursuing social justice. We believe that the Bible gives us a uh, a justice imperative. But let me say this. Our public witness does not, cannot end there. If our public witness doesn't also profess the importance of obedience, then we're falling short. And somebody will be misled into a concept of liberation or some other concept that just isn't biblical if our public witness just ends there. Because you see, social justice is an important component of the Christian witness. Nobody here is going to deny that. But it's not the whole witness. If it's not shaped by truth. If it's not uh, uh, tempered by Christian charity, if it's not anchored by the authority of scripture, then it's insufficient and quite possibly harmful. Calling out racist again in and of itself doesn't make you righteous and a full uh, and good representative of the gospel or accurate representative of the gospel. I just talked about the moral majority. 
In my opinion, that movement showed us that the pursuit of moral order without justice, without compassion and without a heart for reconciliation is misguided. And it can be abused and will be abused and it'll get too close to certain ideologies that are not biblical. And it can be used to uh, uh, to achieve ends that aren't necessarily gospel centered ends. Right. It wasn't that traditional marriage or the pursuit of you know, pro-life issues uh, was a bad thing. But if you pursue those things without the rest of God's counsel. Then things can take a turn for the worst. We must, and this is why the AND campaign talks about love and truth, social justice and moral order. If we're going to represent the gospel and have our, our uh, civic engagement be uh, really a model of what the gospel is about and a, a contention for the faith, so to speak, it's got to be the full counsel of God, the whole counsel, not just pieces of it, the piece that, that fits our cultural narrative and then leave the rest of it out. As a church, we got to bring those things together. Chris, w- w- what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that I'm going to uh, go ahead and actually plug the book again, because that is this is what the book really gets into in great depth, is what does it look like to live faithfully in the public square, right? And it it really does come down to compassion and conviction. If it's all, you know, conviction and it's all obedience and adherence to the scripture uh, and do the right thing, and there is no compassion, there is no willingness to thoughtfully listen, to respectfully uh, disagree, uh, to even defend uh, and protect the, uh, the human dignity of people who completely reject uh, everything that we know to be true uh, based on the scripture. If that compassion is not a component of it, uh, then it is incomplete. Uh, I, I, I tweeted about this uh, a day ago or so, uh, just about in Ephesians chapter four, uh, which is very important to how we create uh, the the end campaign framework. In Ephesians chapter four, uh, it is clearly uh, unfaithful to compromise uh, on issues of truth. There are things that we know to be true from the scripture, uh, and we cannot back away from those things. We cannot uh, adjust them. We cannot compromise the truth. But in that same chapter, we see that it is incredibly immature to speak that truth outside of the context of speaking it in love. Right. So those two components, love and truth, literally cannot be separated. You cannot say that I'm going to advance the cause of the compassion and the love uh, and the justice uh, motivation of the scripture. But I'm going to ignore the truth. I'm going to ignore the call to uh, obedience uh, to to scripture, submission to. Uh, to God and to the things of God. I'm just going to leave that on the uh, on the fl- on the cutting room floor, as they say. And I'm just going to be all about compassion. At the same time, you can't go into the public square, um, you know, just slapping people with doctrine. This is wrong. Uh, this is wrong. Don't do this. Don't go here. You got to say that, and don't have any compassion. No willingness to thoughtfully listen to uh to respectfully disagree uh, and again to to vigorously with passion and the serious stuff of real genuine love defend the human dignity of people who do not believe uh, and completely reject the truth that we know and live and embrace uh, if 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 we don't have that full view then we've not been faithful, uh, and and I just I think that folks who listen to this podcast are civically interested and um, and interested in, in in faith. So I would just say that living this way from a political perspective 
gives you tremendous credibility. And there are people who will try to urge you in the moment of a conflict that you have to move off of this position. You, you, you have to do what the tribe is doing, doing what the party is doing in order to, uh, you know, to secure your political life. And I would just urge you as somebody who's been around politics and civics and organizing that in the long game, this type of approach actually gives you credibility, which is huge currency in government and civics and in politics. And also as a believer, this allows you to live in a way that's faithful. So you can build your credibility by being faithful. You can be faithful while guarding your credibility. There's really no reason to not do this. And in moments, Justin, and in, in fights in this in, in particular spots, this will prove to be incredibly, incredibly difficult. But I really want to urge folks that in the long game, both politically and from a spiritual perspective, this is actually the best way to do it. I, I that's good, man. Um I, let me just add this to that. Your public witness can't simply be about what you prefer to talk about. It can't just be about your cultural preferences or what your ideological tribe allows you to talk about. What have you talked about recently that you know your ideological tribe does not want you to talk about in that way or at all? We got to think about that because keep in mind, heresy is about taking a good thing and making it the only thing, making it the ultimate thing. Our ideologies often pull us into unbiblical territory, not off things that are bad, but off things that they have made ultimate that are not ultimate. We have to understand that you can be a very, very compassionate person and set your goal at being compassionate and be in error and be wrong and be unbiblical. Progressives, I'm telling you, you can be a very compassionate person and be wrong. Because certain conceptions of compassion pull us away from the truth. And we don't like to hear it and it doesn't sound nice and it isn't always pleasant. And we should absolutely be compassionate. But if we make that the ultimate thing, human compassion, then we get away from what God really meant that to be, which is something that is not never counter to the truth. It's not about making somebody feel better momentarily through denying the truth. And the same thing goes, you know, vice, you know, vice versa. We've got to understand that as Christians in order to to go out, engage society with the whole counsel of God. Chris, take us out. Yeah. Again, I, I would just say once again that this is not to say that Christians cannot or should not be. Partisan. You know, there's nothing wrong with a Christian being a part of a party, identifying with a certain political ideology. Uh, Those things are important to our democracy. And they're completely okay for Christians to engage with. What we're saying is that they shouldn't come first. And we should always be having our hearts trained on being faithful. Uh, the way, you know, I love the way Justin brings this podcast in every time. Uh, you can engage this way. You can be partisan. You can do all that stuff because it's important to how democracy works. But at the end of the day, you have to be exercised and not thinking like a Democrat, not thinking like a Republican, but thinking about your civics and your politics as a Christian. And then you come to your party and your ideological tribe ready to engage, ready to be a good partisan, ready to be a good, you know, ideologue uh, in all the ways that you can. But a good member of a party, like people, and and I'm going to get off this in one second, but people want to make you feel like a good member of a party is one that actually just always says yes to the predominant thought and what's going on. It's actually not even the best way to help your political party. The best way to help your political party is to prove out the ideas, challenge stuff, make sure that is right. In doing this, you're not hurting your party. 
you're helping your party. You should be able to bring something more to the party leadership than just a rubber stamp. I'm going to bring you some ideas. I'm going to bring you some new ways of looking at this, probably some ways that might bring folks into our coalition that are not in our coalition right now because you don't know how to think like this. So it's, it's, it's so important to me that folks understand that we are actually not asking people to go out there and just sacrifice their political and civic self, right? Uh, and, and in some cases, like I said, it's going to be hard. There will be some sacrifices uh, along the way. But this model will actually prove, I think, to be successful uh, in civics and politics, as well as being faithful in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, we anybody who's been listening to us knows that, should know that we're not saying that uh, ideologies can't be helpful or that there's not a practical value to being in a political party, but it should be seen as a tool, right? It should be seen as leading to something else. It's not an end of in, in and of itself and neither your ideology nor your political party nor anybody in those parties should be the master of your social action. And that's what we're saying. We'll be right back. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the AND campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the AND campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. The AND Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement that we published with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast with Justin Giveney and the right reverend, Christopher Butler, Folks, if, if you didn't know, uh, there is a mayor's race going on in New York City right now. Um, voting in that election, early voting in that election has already begun. And to say the least, it has been a very eventful uh, uh, race. Um, uh, you got you, you got uh, a lot of different types of uh, candidates running. Most of them are, are obviously going to be fairly progressive. Uh, most of them are going to are, are Democrats, at least now. We actually have somebody who was a registered uh, Republican in the 90s and, and is actually uh, uh, in the lead as of one of the last polls. So it is it has been very interesting. We know uh, Andrew Yang is, is part of that. And Yang is somebody who I didn't agree with all his policies. But I'll be honest with you, when he ran for president, I liked his posture better than anybody else. I like that he wasn't like rabid over a lot of those, a lot of some some of these social issues, some of these culture war issues. And I like that he was thinking differently about the economy, even if I didn't like the, you know, the the his final conclusions. He was thinking differently about the economy and differently about education when a lot of people were just stuck in the 90s or stuck even in the 80s. Um, and so he. uh Yang was up for quite a bit. I think he peaked a little bit too early. Uh, and so I don't know if he's, you know, he's going to rise to the top and actually end up winning. But we will find out soon enough. But there was an interesting article that I that I was reading in The Atlantic about basically how a lot of these progressives are kind of eating their own in the uh, New York City mayoral race. Uh, and, I, and I thought it was uh, really interesting one of the things that that happened is uh, there's a, a, a sister named uh, Diane Morales, and she is I think she was a former um, uh, nonprofit executive or something like that, Chris. And she was running and she actually was doing very well. 
Then something happened. She ends up getting in trouble and she made some statements that people didn't like. And listen to this. The article says that Morales's staffers and volunteers ultimately staged a protest against their own candidate. They lit sage and incense outside her office and urged her to donate one million dollars from her campaign coffers to a, to mutual aid groups, a decidedly unrealistic demand that would almost certainly violate city campaign finance law. Uh, Morales responded by firing more than 50 members of her team, leaving her with a skeleton crew. A campaign that was already a long shot had definitely imploded. Wow. This this is part of the problem that we're seeing. And and we know conservatives have a lot of their own problems, whether it comes to identity and leadership and all that other stuff. And we've talked about that quite a bit. But this is really one of the problems that we're seeing on the progressive side of things where you have campaign staffers who are staging a protest against their own candidate, lighting sage and incense outside of her office and telling her to donate money from her campaign coffers illegally. So not only do we have completely unrealistic, nobody did their due diligence. Nobody really looked into this. Somebody just said this was a good idea. So you have all these campaign staffers and nobody said, hey, you know, she probably can't donate a million dollars to these random groups since it's campaign cash. And this is how I mean, this is how folks are just eating each other alive. It's this purity. Now, if let me tell you this, if somebody you're on a campaign and they do something unethical or ter- yeah, feel free to leave. Right. But this performative, these performative stunts that are always half cocked, that there's no due diligence behind them. This is bad, man. This is just a bad look. And it's not I mean, we even heard on the you know Biden campaign, you had people who just didn't want to listen to where the campaign was trying to go. Right. Because they were trying to go personally in a, in a different direction. And it's dangerous, man. What, what are your thoughts on this, Chris? It is dangerous. Um, you know, I think it's it's uh, really incredible to watch. Uh when I look at it, I ask, what's the, the lesson that we can learn uh, for the movement that we're organizing in? Um, and, and I think that uh, a sentence, I think is the last sentence in, in that article, uh, they say if, if, if Wiley, who's the last progressive sort of standing, uh, if Wiley falls short in the mayor's race uh, is a defeat for the city's insurgent left, progressives remain well positioned for the future. Here's the sentence. But in New York and elsewhere, they may have to settle for imperfect champions. Uh, And I think that that's really, really important because, uh, as we've talked about pretty much uh, for this uh, show, Justin, if it's all conviction, even where these convictions, these progressive convictions are not, you know, necessarily deeply rooted in scripture and that kind of thing. But whenever on any ideological from any viewpoint, when it's all conviction, it becomes a form of legalism and it creates a standard that nobody can live up to. Even people who are deeply committed to the ideals, deeply committed to the cause, they cannot live up to that legalistic standard. So there has to be some compassion, some ability to listen, some ability to respectfully disagree uh, in the mix. Otherwise, it's going to become impossible to build uh, a, a political movement. Uh, I referred to Ephesians chapter four uh, earlier as a passage. Uh, that chapter is very uh, core to how we develop the uh, the end campaigns framework, uh, and and it 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 anchors in that exhortation in Ephesians chapter four to speak the truth in love. But there's an earlier exhortation in uh, verse two uh, to actually, with humility and gentleness, that we should bear with one another in love. Uh, and so I think that is something that we should allow to be instructive uh, for us. I would urge uh, progressives to be uh, in, in the same kind of vein. But certainly uh, we should be learning that we have to settle for imperfect champions because imperfect people are 
all we have available to us in terms of our uh, humanity. Our, our movement is lucky because we actually have a perfect champion that we ultimately uh, hope in. But when it comes to human leadership, we go for legalism. That's a bad road. Yeah, and it's interesting too. I mean, this is just a very it's it's a it's a race worth worth watching. It's it, it, there's not much time left. Again, early voting has already started. But again, this is the mecca, so to speak, of progressivism in America, of a certain kind of progressivism in America. You got AOC up there. You got a lot of folks up there. But Eric Adams, who is the candidate that's been up in the last few polls, is relatively speaking kind of like a law and order (laughs) type guy. Right. Because at the end of the day, people want want security. Right. And you can say all this other stuff and we can be uh, we we can have all these all the symbolism and we can have all these uh, performative theatrics. But people want the basics. And especially in a mayoral race, there's only so much room for all the ideological stuff. And people start to get real practical real quick. Can you provide services? Can you protect us? Why is the crime rate so high? You can say all this other stuff. But if you don't take care of the basics, that other stuff goes out the window. Uh, but you make some great points about the, just the ideological purity that creates standards that nobody can live up to. Uh, even the people who are try- a lot of these folks tried to profess these st- perfect standards. And when they, you looked at their record and you looked at some of the things they said, it just wasn't possible. So uh, something that we should all pay attention to, we'll probably be talking about how this mayoral race ends uh, because uh, it's obviously one of the biggest races that's going on right now, the biggest race that's going on right now. And it's going to tell us kind of how people are thinking in the midst of this kind of crime surge and a lot of the other things that are going on. Again, I think one of the progressives in the race is kind of surging at the right time, but we'll see if she can uh, catch up to Adams. Well, that's our show. I'll end by saying, number one, hey, join this movement. If you like what we're talking about, if you like what we're doing, you can always support us by going on on our on our website. You can support us by just spreading the word about this podcast, about the and campaign in general. Or you can go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash church politics to show uh, that you want to be a part of this movement and not just stand on the sidelines. If you ain't got no money, you still cool with us. Just spread the word to folks at your church and other folks. And we love you more. We love you just the same. Uh, we are trying to do something special for the body of Christ and we can't do it alone. We need your help. So as usual, and camp, there is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world politics with politic with the boldness and compassion of jesus christ until next time man camp well i'll let you oh lord i said king